You shouldn't kill me when you had the chance. I'm ready to dance. Round two, I'ma pound you. Whoop your ass. Nobody taking over my life or running my world. I fight to the end. Why to die, me and my girl? You might knock me down a couple times, but I'ma get up. I'ma keep punching and swinging. I'ma never let up. I am coming from the bottom. Boots is covered in mud. I ain't stopping until one of Hey, what's up, guys? If you are looking for a podcast to help you become the best version of yourself, then this show is for you. I'm your host, Joe Nice, and I'm joined today by my friend, um, fellow brother in blue, entrepreneur, incredible dad, um, loving husband. I could go on and on about this guy for, for hours. Uh, Mr. Ryan Tillman out in Los Angeles. What's up, Ryan? What's going on, man? How you doing, Big Joe? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? Doing phenomenal, man. Doing phenomenal. Can't complain at all. Hey, listen, man, I just want to say uh, real quick, thank you so much for uh, for making time and getting on the show with us today. Uh, I know that uh, obviously it's a little earlier for you out in California and you guys got a lot going on out there yourselves. So I just wanted to say thank you. No, anytime, man, anytime. It is early on this. <laughs> man, I am, I'll tell you one thing, I am not the early bird. I I don't care what it is, man. I don't care if it was a burning building, man. It, it would still take me a while to roll out of bed, even with smoke in my in my face. Oh, that's crazy. I'm I'm exact opposite. I'm I love bouncing, especially when the weather starts to turn and it gets light out early and you smell that spring in the air. Four oh, o'clock you... rolls around. I'm ready to jump out of bed and get going. Oh, uh, you one of those chippy guys? I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> oh, that's too funny, man. That's cool though. Uh, listen, right. So what I what I try to do for for the listeners is I just try to bring them people of first and foremost high character. Uh, and then people who have real life quality experiences that can sort of help them, you know, uh, navigate through the path of, of finding the best version of, of their own lives. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, what, the first thing I like to do is when I bring people on is I like to just allow my listeners to kind of sort of understand who I'm speaking with. So obviously I know who Ryan Tillman is. Um, you know, the, the, if you don't know, he, he's a, a police officer out in Los Angeles. Um, Ryan and I met through uh, Eric Thomas, uh, another person that he just sort of kind of guided me towards. Um, and uh, we just developed a friendship. We have a lot of things that, uh, you know, passions in common and, and, and values in common. Um, but Ryan started a, uh, uh, an organization out in Los Angeles called Breaking Barriers United. And he's doing just some sort of phenomenal work in regards to bridging the gap between the community and law enforcement. Um, and at times right now, you could see it across the country. It's something that's so needed. So Ryan, just for people who don't really know who you are, or don't know your backstory, just kind of give us, um, I guess, the abbreviated version of, of how you kind of grew up um, and sort of how you kind of found law enforcement from, from where you started. Uh, sounds good, man. So first and foremost, thanks again, Joe, for having me, man. Um, it's kind of funny how God works and how he connects people like-minded people together man so uh and utilizing mutual people to do that um so yeah my name is ryan tillman uh founder of breaking barriers united i'm also uh, a police officer here in southern california and uh kind of grew up man out this way at the city town a uh, city called rialto california and uh you know i love the city where i grew up at it was a good place to grow up but uh, it definitely was not one of those uh upper class neighborhoods it was more of a middle class, middle to lower class neighborhood. Um, and the reason I said middle to lower class is because certain areas you're at, you're going to see find a lot of middle class people. But there's definitely a lot of neighborhoods within the same city that are lower, a lot of lower income neighborhoods. And uh, I think for me, that was probably 
one of the best things for me because it gave me uh, something that we call life experience. And in a job like police work, you want to have some level of life experience coming into it because that life experience is going to allow you to um, exercise a level of grace and mercy to people because you kind of understand where they're coming from. Uh, but at the same time, from an officer safety standpoint, um, kind of get you or help you know when something's off and everything like that. So growing up in Rialto, it was good. Um, you know, I had great loving parents, mom, dad, and uh, two siblings, two sisters. And my parents really did everything they could to position me and my, my sisters for success. I mean, they uh, from building my credit, which, you know, it's funny that it's one of those things that we don't talk about, but I didn't understand and appreciate really um, the fact that my mom and dad built my credit at a young age. So when I came out of college, man, I had over an 800 credit score. And, you know, as a as a young high school teenager and when not knowing anything about credit, man, like, you know, you just don't appreciate things like that until you actually need to. So, you know, I grew up with them, you know, always looking out for me, having my best interests at hand. And a lot of times looking back, it was probably at the cost of their own joy. And I don't want to say joy, actually. It was probably the cost of their own, um, you know, pleasure sometimes. You know, they couldn't always go where they wanted to go or do the things that they want to do because they sacrificed for me and my sister. So, you know, growing up there, um, like I said, I had some great experiences, but I also had some uh, not so pleasurable experiences, and some of those involved law enforcement. Uh, I remember, you know, getting um, pulled over by some officers that basically cussed me out for talking on a cell phone, and then I remember uh, driving through a neighborhood. Uh, that was a nicer neighborhood, and some guy followed me and accused me of casing the neighborhood and uh, said he was a deputy. And, and now that I think about it, actually, situation – I don't want to say it was similar to the recent situation in Georgia just because I wasn't chased and I wasn't shot and killed. But it was one of those where a guy alleged that he was an off-duty police officer and that I didn't belong in the neighborhood and tried to accuse me of casing. And so um, I had those type of experiences with law enforcement. It just kind of made me feel like police officers are people that are going to sort their uh, assert their authority over us and um, just because they can and you know, I would always say, you know, police officers are guys that got picked on in high school, so they became police officers to pick on everybody else. So that was kind of my mentality. And so, you know, you fast forward. I went to college, played football in college. I was a, a DB at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. I was a runner rebel. And, uh, you know, when I was there, that was – I love college, man. College is probably one of the best experiences of my life, going to school in Vegas and meeting people from all over the world. It's probably one of the best things and been playing at the, one of the highest levels people will ever make. I mean, outside of professional, if you don't ever make it to professional, but you make it to play Division One or Division One sport, man, it was just like no other. So played there and graduated from college, got my degree. And then when I moved home, uh, I had met my wife right before I had graduated, actually. And, uh, you know, my dad had came ill at the time. So I moved home to take care of my dad a little bit, help my mom out and uh, be closer to my, my girlfriend, which is my now wife. And uh, when I moved back home, I started to do an assortment of jobs. I, I did uh, insurance. I was a, a manager at Abercrombie & Fitch, which I didn't know, which I couldn't stand. Um, so I did an assortment of jobs, and, you know, my wife and I had got married. And, uh, you know, probably a year after we had got married, we found out that she was pregnant with our first child. And at that time, man, my income was just like a roller coaster. And she was the breadwinner of the house. 
And it was one of those things where it's just like, man, like, you know, I need to do something more with my life. So my dad's best friend was like, hey, you should think about or consider becoming a police officer. And I was like, no, uh, I'm not about to be a police officer. I'm not about to work for the man. Like, you know, I'm not about to be a pig. That was like my whole mentality because, again, it was based on a lot of these bad experiences that I had at the time. And then you couple that with social media and, and how the media portrays officers. So I didn't even think about it. And then, you know, about after two years, you know, of this whole cycle of you should do this or maybe you shouldn't, I was praying about it. And I basically say, like, God, if this is what you want me to do, open the door. If not, then close the door. And then the doors just kind of flew open. So um, became a police officer, graduated number two overall in my class, um, went through the field training program. And, you know, even still when I was going through the field training program, I was like, man, I don't even know if this is something I want to do still. I just feel like, feel weird, man. I feel like I, I didn't really like, I always, it felt like I was messing with people if I did a traffic stop on somebody, whatever it may be. So um, once I got out of the field training program, that's when I really got to understand that, like, this is a good job um, because not only does it allow you to help people in their most dire needs or dire time in their life, but it would also, you know, you can kind of do it the way you want to do it and really change the image of law enforcement. And so that's when, you know, I started to see things from a different perspective. And as I was seeing things as, as, at a different perspective, uh, those closest around me started seeing things from a different perspective. And then that was pretty much the birth of Breaking Barriers United because I realized that, you know, now that I'm on the other end of the spectrum, you know, my perspective and my perception has changed. And so, you know, I need to take this platform that I have and go out there and try to change other people's perception and perspective of law enforcement. That's amazing, dude. Like so many people, they don't have that like direction or guidance, Ryan. And you know, they, they just sort of kind of wander around life, like doing stuff that they hate to do or uh, they never find that true calling. Um, you know, for me, we have a very, very sort of kind of similar story. And, and I never thought growing up I was, you know, going to be a, a police officer. It never even crossed my mind. I mean, I wanted to be like, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher when I was in school. <laughs> you know, but, you know, after school, uh, you know, things happened. And, and uh, you know, I, I wound up dropping out of school to sort of kind of help my father with the business. And then I just, you know, I remember going to a local community college and then my car broke down that I had and I couldn't get to class. So, like, I dropped out of that semester and I just I wound up I started working as a personal trainer. And I started making really good money and I just never went back to school. But then I had like this crazy dream. I was going to be an actor and I moved out to Los Angeles. I, 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 drove, I drove out to LA and I was doing what everybody else in Los Angeles was doing. You know, I was waiting tables and I was going on auditions and, you know, I was doing not bad for somebody who had no acting experience whatsoever. Like I made it to, I made it on NBC and ABC. I was on a couple soap operas. I was an extra in some movies and, you know, I was, I was working. Um, but on September 11th, uh, I got a phone call and, and, and somebody said, uh, I, uh, my, my buddy who called me said, turn on the television. And when I turned on the TV, I saw the Twin Towers on fire. Wow. And, uh, you know, for the next, you know, week or, you know, two weeks, I watched like these cops and firemen and EMS like on the rubble running in. So then you saw all the stories and, and the videos of the cops running in filled with like soot and debris and stuff like that. And, and as a kid, I always wanted to be a superhero. Like Superman was my favorite superhero growing up. And I, I, for the first time, I really kind of understood what a superhero was, you know, and, and they were real. They were real people. 
Um, and right then and there, I, I wanted to be a cop. So wow, I, I, moved, I moved back home um, in uh, October. And uh, in December, I proposed to my girlfriend, uh, who's my wife now. And I took all the tests. I scored a 94 on the NYPD test because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an NYPD cop. Um, what was really funny, right, is that they, at the time, they were in such need of police officers because of everything that happened, and they, they wanted to have this influx of officers come in. Um, I had scored a 94 in the test. I had never been in trouble in my life, uh, but they had a 60 college credit requirement, and I, which was crazy. At the time, they were out of contract for a very long time down in the city, the NYPD, and their starting salary was $24,000 a year. Oh. And they wanted you to have 60 college credits. That's so crazy. When it got to the point that uh, I guess one of the investigators had called me up and said, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're ready to get you towards the next level, but we noticed that you don't have 60 credits. And I'm like, yeah, I have like 40 something. And they're like, well, are you willing to go back to school? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And they're like, well, I'm sorry. You know, this, you know, you, you can't be a cop. So then yeah. I started doing some, you know, some small jobs like you. I was doing alarms with my cousin for a while. I was still personal training. Uh, you know, I was doing whatever I could. My wife, who was a graduate of, of Pace University, was the breadwinner. Uh, you know, she had a steady job and, and benefits and all that stuff. And we were living in her parents' basement at, at the time. And I just kept taking the police tests. And uh, I took the county test. Uh, and it took me like a few more years. I didn't get hired until January of 2006. Uh, so it was like it was like uh, it was like two more years before the next test came out, and then I took it, and it took like another year and a half for them to like you know get to me. And even though I scored a, a high, I was a, I think I scored a ninety on the county test. But anyway, it took me a long time to get hired, and and I remember my opening meeting, and this is what I'll bring us to the, to, to to our next topic is they said to me, um, the chief and the captain and the lieutenants, they said, what do you want to, if you get hired as a police officer, what do you want to do? And I said I want to work with the kids. Mm. That's always been a passion of mine. I loved coaching. Uh, I loved sports. Um, you know, at the time I had, uh, we had our first child. He was, he was one years old. And they said, no, for real, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to work with the kids. Mm. And, um, you know, it, there was a, a whole bunch of stuff was going on in my police department. It wasn't the best place to work at the time. And, and I remember about, I want to say about seven years ago, um, they passed me up for the SRO. The SRO uh, retired and they interviewed me and, and everybody said, um, Perello's the guy, Perello's the guy, he should be the guy. And, and I was, I was the best fit for, for the job at that time. It was something that I really wanted to do and it was just a perfect fit. I was coaching for years, I had small kids and they passed me up. And um, administration came and went and changed over and about two years ago, um, one of the guys who went to the academy with me was now in charge. And he said, hey, do you still want that SRO position? And I'm like, if it's available. And they're like, well, it's going to be. And so for the last two years, I've been the SRO in the high school that I went to high school at. Man, that's so cool, man. Funny how things, the circle of life works. Yeah, man. So listen, it's just about sometimes patience and, and you know, and, and, and trusting or believing in what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and for you, I know a lot of people, dude, I can't tell you how many people sent me text messages or YouTube links of, of you dancing on <laughs> the last day at the school you were at. And I'm like, that's my boy, Ryan. They're like, this is going to be you, Joe. And I'm like, that's my boy. They're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, man. So, well, so how did you, how, so Ryan, did for you was, was Breaking Back United before the SRO 
uh, before you got put into the SRO or, or did you do that sort of kind of simultaneously? So the, the unique thing about BBU is that it's separate from my day job. And so um, I had actually started BBU when I was only like about a year on the job. And, and that actually came with a lot of, um, I can say, uh, what's the word for it? Um, ups and downs. Just because a lot of people looked at me like, hey, who's this new guy coming in trying to start this organization? You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't even know his day job yet. And and I get why people would think that. And I, and I understand, you know, their, their thought process behind it. But at the same time, I mean, I think it's also a, a hindrance in, uh, to people in the mindset that we have as human beings sometimes is, you know, preventing people for trying to progress in, in life and trying to trying to change things. And so, you know, when I started and I had this aspiration to go out there and, and change the way people viewed police, you know, looking back, it should have been embraced more as opposed to, you know, criticized. But whatever it is, what it is. So I started BBU um, right when I got hired, like about a year after I got hired. And then I had worked patrol for about, I want to say about three and a half years before uh, I put in for the SRO position. And and it's funny because uh, I remember, um, you know, I'm trying to navigate, like figure out, okay, what do I want to do, um, at, you know, in my role as an officer? Because if you're not a police officer, you got to understand something that there's so many different jobs within this job. And, you know, a lot of people take different career paths. So sometimes I think a lot of people just believe that when you become an officer, you just become a patrol officer and that's all you do the whole your whole career. Uh, that may be the case for some, but it's not the case for many, especially if you have aspirations of promoting and moving on up the chains. And so, you know, one of the things that you should do early on as a new cop is start to decide what it is that you want to do. Where do you, where do you want to make the biggest impact and what do you want your identity to be? And, you know, some people find their identity in being like a good narcotics investigator, meaning that they go undercover, they're investigating drugs, they're taking drugs off the street. And there are a lot of good people that are some phenomenal narcotics officers. Then you have some that say, you know what, I want to be a good gang officer. We have gangs in our neighborhoods. Uh, I have a buddy of mine who actually grew up in gang infested neighborhoods. And so he's very passionate about working gangs and, and, and preventing gangs from doing what they do. Um, you have some that say, hey, look, you know, I like riding motorcycles and I want to be a motor cop and I want to go out there and and enforce a lot of the traffic laws and keep people safe and get them to and from work. And so I think that's one of the cool, coolest, unique things about our job is that there's so many different facets of it. Well, for me, um, before I became a police officer, my identity was always one that I loved giving back to the community. I loved giving back to the youth. And I think I got a lot of that from my dad. Uh, my dad was very, very big on pouring back into the youth. And so whether it be through sports, whether it be through coaching, whether it be through going to town hall meetings to discuss the new football coach we were getting at our high school, um, he was always involved in not only my life, but the lives of all of my friends as well. So I think my dad kind of just passed that on to me without me even realizing it. And so I remember I was approached by some people initially said, man, you should think about doing this school resource officer job. And at first I was like, man, that sounds great. Like I would love to do it, but I almost kind of got talked out of it, man. And you know, the thing, the reason I almost got talked out of it was because, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, um, but this is kind of a unique fact of it is that, you know, people were talking me out of it because they were like, you know, Ryan, there's only one way to, or not one way, but you know, 
in order to move up the chains, in order to get promoted, you got to kind of do the sexy stuff, the narcotic investigator. You got to do the gang investigator, um, different details like that in order to move up the chains. And, you know, to do to be a school resource officer, you know, it's kind of looked at as one of those positions where, you know, you go there and uh, you go there to basically retire on duty, you know, and, you know, if you're in trouble, you, you know, get a spanking, you go there. So that way you're out of sight, out of mind, like the whole, you know, perception of that spot was just negative. And so I almost got talked out of it. And so initially when I had aspirations of going there and I heard people saying what they were saying about that spot, I actually said, okay, you know what? And I'm going to focus my attention on becoming a narcotic investigator because that was the other thing I like to do. I do like to investigate narcotics. And so I tried three times to become a narcotic investigator, three. And, you know, if you ask me, I think I was pretty qualified, man. I was writing search warrants. I was taking guns and drugs off the streets, doing all types of different things. But God did not, God continued to close that door on me. He continued to close the door on me three times. And so after that third time, you know, the spot for the SRO thing opened up again. And it really was the sergeant of that unit at the time reached out to me. She was like, hey, like, uh, are you still interested in becoming a school resource officer? And by that time, I was like, no, like, kind of got my mind fixated on doing the whole narcotic thing. And so... I, I remember, man, I was on vacation with my family in San Diego, and she had hit me up. She said, hey, the spot just opened up. You know, are you interested in putting in for it? And I talked to my wife in the hotel and, you know, about, like, should I do it or should I not? And I prayed about it, and I was like, you know what? What the heck? Like, I've always liked working for kids. I've always liked working with kids. I was like, you know, I went back to the same mentality I had when I first started uh, the job and I said if this is meant to be it's meant to be if it's not it's not so uh, if it's meant for me to do it the door open if it's not it will close and man the the door opened wide open for me so I, I found out I got the spot and let me just tell you like when I went into that spot and what I found out uh, about the school resource officer spot was the complete opposite of what I was kind of led to believe about that spot and one of the biggest lessons I learned about that spot was that is a spot that it's everything that you make of it. And, man, I, I went and poured my heart into that school, into the relationships with the staff, with the students. And it it literally has probably been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life because every single day I walked on a campus, people knew who I was. I saw a girl yesterday when I was on patrol, and she was like, man, officer, she went to my school. She was like, officer, tell me what's going on. Like, I miss you. And, you know, the school hasn't been the same without you. And so you really get to see those direct impacts that you make on a daily basis because you're not there to necessarily enforce the law. Is that a part of your job? Yes. But my job was more so about building relationships, you know, being a mentor, being a coach, being, you know, a big brother. And so, you know, I encourage people that are in this profession, if you have aspirations of being a school resource officer, one, don't let anybody talk you out of it. But two, if you do get that spot, go there and realize that you can make an impact. And so the whole caveat to this whole story was, you know, what started out as being a position that was looked upon negatively that people went to to retire on duty. Uh, people that, you know, had a chip on their shoulder went there so that way they can get out of everybody's mind. I actually ended up getting promoted out of the spot. And typically, you know, that that spot is about a four year position. I was only in the spot about a year and a half. And that was a sucky part. It was because, 
you know, I was hoping that, man, I can go a whole four years, you know, from the start of one freshman class to the end of their senior year. But God works in mysterious ways. So I ended up getting promoted with only about a year and a half in the spot. But I truly believe it's because, you know, when you're right where God wants you, man, things will work out regardless. Listen, it's it's so crazy when you say that, right? when, you know, you're right where God wants you to be. You remember, I don't know, you probably don't remember, but I do. You went to school at uh, UNLV. And the first time yeah. when I spoke, I was in a suite at the Bellagio with my wife in Las Vegas. Wow, really? That's the first time you and I ever spoke. I remember uh, he sent me your number and he's like, yo, give my, give my boy a call. And I reached out to you. You picked up the phone and I was, I was overlooking the, the fountains at the Bellagio when I was talking to you on the phone. I remember that. I was yeah. at a jump I was at a jump house actually my, with my kids. Yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. So listen, you 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 nailed so many things. Like people get so caught up in law enforcement about like, you know, when you're saying promotions about arrests and ticket numbers, right? There's so much more to being a cop than just arrests and tickets. Uh, mm -hmm. and somebody like you who had the aspirations of changing perspective on law enforcement, Ryan, what is what position could be any more powerful than working with the kids? Like people don't understand that. Like, you know, I, I went to, to, so obviously right now school's closed, but school is still in session. So uh, the principal and the assistant principals are using me in the town to go check up on kids that aren't really doing their work and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> they're not logging in. They're not answering teachers' emails. They're kind of falling off the radar. So they'll give me a list every day of kids to go check up on. That's cool. I went to this one kid's house yesterday, and I knock on the door, and I hear, you know, who is it? And I'm like, Harrison Police, what are you doing at my front door? So I, I, I called the kid's name because it sounded like him. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, it's it's SRO Joe. Yo, what's up? Open the door. He's like, yo, what are you doing here? So, <laughs> you know, it, it's about that. It's about that, right? So he heard cops at the door and was confrontational and pissed. And then he heard it was me and he opened the door up. You you know what's funny is that uh, without cutting you off, sorry for cutting you off, but that literally happened. They say the same exact thing happened to me like two nights ago. Same exact thing. It's and listen, I I, I love it now. You know, I have a business, an entertainment business, and I do a lot of private events. And I do a lot of private events in the town in which I'm a police officer. So mm -hmm. a lot of these kids who are in the high school right now, I did their bar mitzvahs when they were in like seventh grade. So That's I know cool. some of these kids and I know their families and I know their parents. And I get so many text messages or calls or emails just from parents saying thank you, you know, uh, just from, and, and it's, I honestly believe when you love what you do, it shows. Now, you know, for you, unfortunately, it was only a year and a half, but for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm 14 and a half years into my career. I have another five and a half and I'm done. I literally am looking to retire, you know, in the school. Like, That's I don't cool. want to, I don't want to do anything else. That's like, cool. You know, I didn't, I didn't want, I don't have aspirations of, of being a traffic cop. Right. You said growing up in, in uh, growing up in your particular neighborhood gave you sort of life experiences. Right. So now when as you're a police officer, you kind of can sort of balance on how to act when, you know, when you've seen some of the things that these people are dealing with personally. Well, for me, like I've I've always been a worker. I was a blue collar worker. Like I know the the value of a dollar. 
right? I know how much or how hard you have to work to make 250 or $300 in a day and the things that you have to do, right? And some of these younger kids, right, who get hired at 20 or 21 years old while they're still living in mommy and dad's basement, they yep. don't know that yet. Yep. So they have no problem going out and hammering somebody with three or four tickets on a car stop just because they want their numbers to be up. Like exactly. I, never, I never wanted to do that. Like I know it's part of the job and it's something that we have to do, but it doesn't give me any zero, it gives me zero joy or zero satisfaction. Exactly. For me, I always wanted to work with the kids. I mean, I wanted to be a teacher. And what, what, what closest thing to being, becoming a teacher is to be a coach and now be a police officer in the school with the kids. Exactly. And you know? look cool while doing it. Yeah, and yeah, and, and kind of, yeah. you're the cop with the tattoos. Like, you know, yeah. that's pretty cool. Like people don't, you know, people don't, you know, or where I'm from, people don't see a lot of cops like me. And then people, a lot of cops don't have the same personality as me. And that's not to say that I'm better or worse than anybody else, but I'm just me. Right. So, so to put somebody yeah, exactly. who, who wants to be there, who has the personality, who wants to help, you know, who wants to make a difference is like a perfect fit. And a lot of times in law enforcement, they don't put uh, square pegs in square holes. Nope. You know, not at all. Not yeah, at all. That's one of the biggest complaints you hear from guys when you just talk to other guys like, you know, in other jobs or on your own job is that, you know, the right people aren't put in the, in, in the right positions. Um, 100%. So, so now you're, you, you got promoted to sergeant, right? The uh, corporal. Corporal. Okay. It's a little different out in, uh, in, in the West Coast. But now you're still doing your, you know, your BBU, which is, which is great. You know, and, and you said it before you know, you got a little flack or, you know, some, there were some ebbs and flows when you, when you first started it. That's just the normal, like old school police mindset. Yep, it is. Talk to the rookie cops. It so is. Why would you not talk to the rookie cops? They're the ones that are going to be backing you up and coming to save your life. Like I never understood that. Exactly. You know, I would go to the new guys when they, their first day, they'd be in their grades and I'd be like, Hey, listen, if I didn't know them, Hey, my name's Joe. If you guys need anything, you let me know. Exactly. Right. That's exactly. I think that's the way law enforcement should be. Not the not the hazing. Don't talk to those guys. Yeah, exactly. So now you're a, a, a corporal and your BBU platform is building and growing. Right. Yeah. So now you, you have other schools and other districts that are now paying you and your people to come in. And what are you doing in the schools? Right. So, um, so what BBU started as, it started as me actually just doing a presentation in churches, quite honestly, and it was a presentation I was designed to, uh, to change the perception in 90 minutes of what you view police officers to be. And so that evolved into me actually going and doing the same presentation in the schools. And so for the longest, I was doing it for free, and, and I still do that presentation for free to, to the day I die. Um, you know, just because that's my passion. But what ended up happening was, is I didn't know anything about, this was all before I became an SRO. I didn't know anything that, that uh, about how um, vendors work in schools and what people come in to do in schools and stuff like that, and how you have contractors and consultants and all this other stuff. So I met a lady and she was like, hey, you know, we pay people all the time to come in here and, and consult and speak to our kids and things like that. And she was like, if you, sh you should start, you know, get like an LLC or something like that and, and come in as a consultant and we'll pay you to do the work. And so I started out, uh, I got my LLC up for BBU and made it an official consulting business. And, um, you know, when I did that, I start, I got my first contract, my first, you know, uh, contract to go speak. I think it was like, um, to like 17 schools or something like that. And I was like, man, this is actually pretty cool. 
So and then I, and I told my wife, I was like, "There's actually something behind it." And my wife was like, "Oh wow, shoot! Like, you could actually, you know, not only can you do what you love, but make some money at doing it, and it's a win-win-win for everybody." And so I was like, "Yeah." So uh, I started doing that, man, and that kind of the, the door kind of just flew open for that because I ended up going to school after school after school, and then uh, what happened was is during that time period, around the same time period. I was listening to ET and I was listening to their podcast and found out that they were going to be in um, St. Louis uh, doing a, a conference. And so when that when I found that out, I was actually looking at my calendar and I had got invited to go speak in St. Louis the same weekend that he was there. And so, you know, I, I was like, you know, I'm going to extend my trip. And so I extended my trip. I did my speaking engagement on the Saturday in St. Louis. And then the conference was Sunday. So I went to uh, the conference on Sunday. But on that Saturday conference, I met this guy named AJ. And so me and AJ and he his Instagram handles, oh, no, it's the popo. Uh, AJ and I hit it off immediately. Um, just like like brothers. I mean, like it was funny, man. When we met each other, it was almost like I had met a long lost brother. Like we hit it off immediately. And so we got to talking. Uh, after we spoke and I was like and I just kind of had this idea I was like man let's start a podcast and so um, you know fast forward I met ET I met and that's how ET connected you and I and so when I came back home um, you know me and Billy the guy behind the camera we had already did a couple of projects together but Billy had reached back out to me it was like hey Ryan like you know what if we kind of um, start documenting everything that you're doing the work that you're doing and, you know, because a lot I had already been doing a lot of work up until that point, but nobody knew about it. You, know, you only you only knew about it if I came to your school or whatever. So me and Billy got hooked up. So then we said, hey, I told Billy, I was like, well, I kind of had this idea to start a podcast with this guy named AJ, yada, 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 whatever it happened. So we started this podcast. We called it It's Needed because every time I told people what I do, people would always say, oh, man, goodness, that's so needed. So I was like, let's call the podcast It's Needed. And so what started as me speaking in schools you know, uh, you know, evolved into us doing a podcast and then that podcast kind of set the platform for me to start speaking in colleges because I start hearing that a lot of our fan base was people that were going into the profession in the law enforcement and j literally just this week. And I know Billy's probably because Billy monitors the social media accounts as well. I probably had about three or four messages this week about people saying they either just got hired in the law enforcement and they wanted to thank us specifically because we helped them get hired. I had people say that they're graduating and we helped them through the academy. And so we start realizing that not only were we changing the perception of the way people view law enforcement, but we're also helping the next generation of police officers in the minds that they have going into this job. I mean, I had somebody reach out to me this morning that talks about how he wants to go into doing a lot of community policing. And so you know, what started as me doing a presentation in churches has evolved into this whole platform of content where I do Tillman takes and put out information about, you know, use of force situations with law enforcement. Uh, we have a, a class, an online class that we're putting together. And so it's just been crazy just to see this roller coaster of what really is turning into a huge consulting business. Um, and so, yeah, God is good, man. I just, I mean, I can go on for days about the work that we're doing, man, but I don't want to bore our listeners. No, no, you're not boring anybody. So E, uh, I heard E say this a long time ago when I first started him, is you take your passion and you turn it into a profit. 
right? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when you, when you can do that, you, you can literally change the world. Because when you have passion behind something and you're doing it, Ryan, for the right reasons, um, you know, the difference that you can make, you can't quantify it. Like your Tillman takes, right? I, I love those, right? And, and listen, they're, they're just your opinion. 100%. Right? 100%. Right? But yep. your opinion is coming from a place, a, a neutral place and a place with a good whole heart. You're not biased on, on, on any one side. You call, you call it like you see it. And when you can come from a place like that of good intentions, see, that's why, you know, that's where sometimes, you know, law enforcement, you get, officers get themselves in trouble, right? And I tell people this all the time, as long as you're doing something with good intentions behind it, like you're going to be okay. Like you might get spanked, you might get ripped because you do something wrong, but you're not going to get like, jammed up or fired it's when you're yeah, doing exactly. stuff for the wrong reasons and when you screw up you have to say i screwed up yeah right well your boss calls you in the office like and say hey, first of all hold on a second don't yell at me i'm a i'm a 42 year old man yeah exactly three kids you don't have to yell at me yeah, I exactly i'm i take ownership of it i'm sorry what are they exactly. gonna say at that point exactly the, the exactly conversation is over yeah, well, if you make excuses and you start pointing the finger at other people, it's just going to keep going and going and going. Or if you lie, that's when you're going to get yourself jammed up. Yeah, and one of the things I want you hit on something that I wanted to touch on is that I think one of the mistakes that we make just as, you know, as human beings is pride. And, you know, without getting biblical and everything like that, because I can get biblical and go on this whole tantrum about, uh, tan um, not tantrum, but uh, is it a tantrum? No, uh, uh, tangent, yeah. Tangent. I can go on this whole tangent about how, you know, um, the fall of Satan was because of pride and all the other stuff. But the reason I bring that up is because there's a lot of comparisons to, you know, our human nature and human nature. By human nature, we are very prideful. And, you know, because of that, we have a lot of the issues that we have in society in general, not just between law enforcement and the community, but in society. And I, I'll give you an example. And this is on both sides of the coin. There was a video I just recently posted about where you had an LAPD officer that beat this dude up. Um, you know what I mean? For and, and the call for service was trespassing. And in this trespassing call for service, all the caller wanted was, hey, I want this guy to be escorted off my property. That's all he wanted. So the officers show up, they tell the guy to leave, and as soon as the officers show up, the guy is MFing the officer and cussing him out and all this other stuff. And yeah, it sucks, whatever. It is what it is. But the guy was leaving. The guy left. The guy left the property. And so as the guy is leaving, the officers are still kind of chipping at this guy. The guy's chipping back at the officers. And so what ended up having being a situation that could have been resolved, the guy comes back, and now the officer was prideful so prideful that he ends up assaulting this guy that wasn't you know a threat to him and it ended up being a terrible situation because the officer got in his emotions and why did the guy get in why did the officer get in his into his emotions because of his pride his pride did not want somebody else talking down to him his pride did not want somebody demeaning him it was his pride but then you flip that and then you talk about this situation. I had a situation where I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago and I was like, you know, if 
people in the community, when officers are dealing with them, if they would just kind of listen to the officers and do what they're to- they're told to do, we wouldn't have a lot of the situations that we have. That person was like, see, I have an issue with that. I have an issue with having to do what somebody tells me to do. An officer, just because they're an officer, they think they can tell me what they can, do, they want to do. And it's not that at all. It's like, no, I'm telling you what I'm, I want you to do because there's a reason behind it. Like, I'm either called there for a specific reason. I have to investigate something. I have to make sure I can determine that nothing is going on. That's why I want you to listen to what I'm telling you to do. But then when you peel the layers back to that, that again goes back to pride. And so we have a pride issue in our society, and that's why we have so many different clashes between law enforcement and the community is because nobody wants to drop their pride. So a lot of times when you see officers screw up, it's because they were prideful. They got caught up in their emotions, and they did something that they didn't want to do. They Somebody told them or called them out a name, and they therefore dropped their you know guard and said, you know, I'm going to react based off of my emotions, not based off of the fact. Same thing on the uh, the civilian side is that you have an officer that gives a direct order for you to comply with. And because of your pride, you're like, I don't have to comply with that because you can't tell me what to do. And so we have to start preaching this thing in society from a young age about, look, like die to yourself. And that's a biblical practice is a biblical principle of dying to yourself, you know, of, you know, even though you know you're right. Do you need to argue your point to to be right? You know what I mean? There's been so many times where I know I may be right in a situation, but is it really worth arguing over? And it's really not. It's really not like if if I know I'm right, what am I going to accomplish by exerting all this force to prove that I'm right? I kind of kind of goes back to marriage like, you know, I know I may be right with the situation with my right wife that we're arguing over. But do I want to argue the situation so much so that even though I proved the fact that I was right, look at the damage that I've essentially caused by proving how right I was. So sometimes it's just better to just be like, okay, I'm sorry and leave it at that and, you know, move forward, you know, loving my wife for the rest of the day without having to prove the fact that I was right. Because once it's all said and done, the damage that I caused proving that rightness I mean, what, at, what, at what cost does it come to, man? So I really wanted to touch on that, man, because it, it's just it's just kind of sad to see where we're at in society with so many different things, all because we want to be right. Well, first of all, I want to correct you. When it comes to your wife, you're never right. Okay, <laughs> True that. True that. <laughs> I've, been, true that. I've, been, I've been married for, for 17 years. We ain't never right, bro. <laughs> oh, man. True that, man. True um, that. But listen, I, it's funny you say that because I had an argument with my son at the dinner table the other day, my 12-year-old son, and I told him to use a steak knife to cut a steak because he was sawing it with like a butter knife and it wasn't working. And he's like, this is a steak knife, dad. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's a butter knife. He goes, no, look, it has the, the teeth on it. And I had like a little tiny fine, like, <laughs> I go, no, no, that's a butter knife. This is a steak knife. And I held up my knife. He's like, no, it's the same knife. And we went back and my wife was like, stop arguing with him. And I'm like, no, he's wrong. I'm right. That's a butter knife. And we had this huge fight at the dinner table. And then when it was done, I realized what an idiot I was because I basically ruined dinner just because I had to be right. <laughs> uh, but, but you said 
you said uh, the, the pride thing, right? And, and that's what's going on right now. And that's sort of kind of really what I wanted to talk about. And then I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about that thing that happened in Georgia, Ryan, but what's going on right now in New York, and I don't know how it is in, in Los Angeles, but I did see a video on Instagram a couple of weeks ago about a first birthday party um, that people were having in Los Angeles. And it's very similar to what's going on right now in New York on a regular basis is that um, the NYPD is being called to enforce these social distancing laws. And they were going, when they're going into these primarily urban neighborhoods, the people are not complying. Mm-hmm. And it's turning into melees and fistfights in the middle of the street. Mm, and I've seen those. In, in 2020, everybody has phones on them 24 hours a day. So now all these videos are being broadcasted all over the place of these cops. Basically, I mean, it's like the Royal Rumble in the WWE. In the I've middle of the street, it's insanity right now. And then they put a stat out the other day, Ryan, and, and I'll probably get some shit for even mentioning this, is that, that like they're saying that out of all the arrests that have been made down in the NYPD involving all this stuff, um, like 60-something percent of them have been African-American, 20-something percent of them have been Hispanic, and like a very small percent has been white. Uh, and I was having this conversation with my, with my dad the other day, and I, I live in a or I, I live and work in a predominantly sort of white neighborhood or area. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, as a law enforcement officer, if we go, like I just got called yesterday to the high school because there were people on the track working out. Now the school is closed right now. And these people, one guy brought his bike down there and then he was with somebody else and the guy was running. So there was two people working out on the track and I show up and I'm like, hey guys, listen, man, I, I know this sucks. I really don't personally care but I'm getting called down here because you guys are not supposed to be on the track. And they were like, officer, we had no idea. Our workout's done. We're really sorry. We're leaving right now. And I was there. I was like, listen, guys, man, I'm glad you got your workout in. It's beautiful outside today. Enjoy the rest of your day. I got in my car. They left. They walked off the track, went up the path, and were gone. That was the end of the, uh, of the, of the confrontation. They happened yeah. to two white people, right? They listened. Right, you go down to, to, to the Bronx or Brooklyn or Manhattan right now, and they're not listening to the officers. So the off, as an officer, Ryan, if I, if I would have told those people, hey, listen, you guys got to go, and they told me to go F myself, I'm not going to say, okay, you know what, guys, you're right. I'm going to go home now. That's not the way it works. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the law or, or, or the restrictions that are being placed right now, but there comes a time where you have to enforce them. Right mm-hmm. now, that's that's happens to be a school. It's private property that could be deemed as trespassing. Like that's a law, right? Mm-hmm. The social distancing stuff with the recommendations from the governors right now. Those aren't necessarily laws. So there's a much grayer area. So we really have to sort of kind of be careful how we navigate them that we're not infringing on somebody's civil rights or or you know or whatnot. But when it comes to laws, like we don't have the um, uh, we don't get to just pick and choose what we want to enforce. Right. So these people are down there and now it's it's getting to a point where, you know, they're not listening to police and law enforcement because they have zero respect for them. Mm-hmm. And it's turning into fights every single day. I don't yeah. know if it's the same way out in Los Angeles and how you feel on, you know, on the difference between and I hate them. I don't want to make it a color thing, but mm-hmm. it seems as if the white people have a little bit more respect for law enforcement and they listen 
and the confrontations are not as much. So it's not that people are targeting blacks or Hispanics. It just looks like that because those people aren't the, are the ones that aren't listening right now, if that makes sense. And if I'm wrong, let me know that I'm wrong because uh, if you could change my mindset on it, I'm more than willing to, to say, Ryan, you know what? You're right. No, so it's one of those things, and we actually just had this conversation on our last podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's a cultural difference, you know what I mean? And, you know, what I mean by that is, like, culturally, we, we're kind of raised, in, you know, from a standpoint of, like, for example, when I, was, when I was raised in the home that I was in, you know, it was important for my dad and my mom to teach me about the history of racism and slavery and things like that. I have a grandfather that just turned 96 last week and that dude lived through slavery. You know what I mean? And so, you know, one of the points and um, examples I bring up is like, you know, when my grandfather uh, voted, when, when Barack Obama ran for president in his first term, you know, my grandfather's vote would be a lot different than my vote because my grandfather's vote is based on, I've lived through slavery. I've seen where things come from. I've seen the civil rights movement. I've had to go drink at a, a fountain that's at colors and, you know, all this other stuff. So when my grandfather base or votes based off the color, it's different from me voting based off the color because I never experienced, you know, you know, racism that was in my face like that or drinking at different color water fountains or a different water fountains and things like that. And so my grandfather may have the excuse of being able to to vote based on color, but I don't necessarily have the excuse of being able to vote based on color. And so what we have right now is we have people that are utilizing color as an excuse to do, you know, either act a certain way or feel a certain type of way towards police or, you know, the contrary. And so my point is, is that we have to recognize a lot of cultural differences that people have that they are raised with and when you have people that are raised thinking that police are bad or police are here to do this when you see the way they respond in in public like we are not justifying their behavior but you got to understand is that this is a mindset that they've almost been preconditioned to think and so they're acting or reacting based off of what they know and so, again, it doesn't justify behavior, not at all, but what we're seeing is a reaction based off of this preconceived condition that they are raised to, to, to believe. And so how do we fix that problem? Well, you know, I, was, I had a good, there's a guy in the city that uh, I love this dude, man. He, he challenges me to be a better police officer uh, from an educational standpoint, from a law standpoint. He is not somebody that is pro-police by any means. But he challenges me. And so uh, I had a conversation with him and he's actually uh, starting. I don't know if he said it's a book or uh, no, it's not a book. I can't remember what it is. But anyways, he's starting this. I think this group that's focused on um, on dads and dads being in the home. And so one of the things that we're missing the mark in with society is that we have all this separation of parents in the home of their kids like there's a lot of kids that are being raised in single parent homes and that has a tremendous impact on our society and so we focus and fixate all this attention on you know all these other issues that are going on but yet 
we miss the mark when it when uh, bringing things back to the home. And the reason the home is so value valuable is because the home is where you're taught to respect people. The home is where you're taught, you know, the importance of submitting to authority. The home is where you're taught, you know, traditional principles on how to treat a lady or, you know, how to treat a man and things like that. But when you have a separation and a break in that home, then who's going to teach and train your children a lot of these fundamental principles? And so going back to being a school resource officer, I would see that divide. I would see that cultural divide. And so when I dealt with a, a kid who came from a two-parent home or a two-parent household, it was a lot different than dealing with a kid that came from a single-parent household. It was a lot different from dealing with a kid that you know was living in a group home. And so eventually those kids are going to be adults. And when those kids become adults, a lot of the ways you're going to see them react in response to certain laws that are being enforced are going to go back to how they were raised. And so going beyond just the layer of, you know, what color is their skin, we have to look at, okay, what is going on in their homes? And that's kind of where the statistics show, which are which really show the divide where we're at as a community. So for example, if you look at, you know, the divide in, you know, minority communities with that of, of kids that come from single parent homes, that number is very, very high. And when that number is very, very high, it's very reflective on the way you see them acting in public because they don't know how to submit to authority. They, they will always challenge authority. If you tell them to do something, they're going to challenge you. And I'm not saying this is just minorities because it's not. I've seen it, you know, equally on the same. If, if you take a white kid and put him in the same position. And the thing that's similar about it is crazy to me is like if I took a white kid that comes from a single parent home, you're, I can almost guarantee that the way he's going to act is the exact same way as you would see a minority kid that comes from a single parent home. And it's not based on the color of their skin. It's based on there was a lapse in the household when they grew up and they don't know how to submit to authority. And so where the numbers and the statistical data comes in is, OK, well, when you do bring color into the situation, what is the statistical data of kids that come from, you know, two parent homes as opposed to single parent homes? And so that's the sad part we're, we're seeing transpire in our in our community. And we have to get back and say, OK, what can we do to keep parents together in the home to raise children together? Because that has a direct reflection of the way people react in society. And so we are not necessarily having the issues that you guys are having in New York, but a lot of that also goes to the authority and not necessarily authority, but the relationship that we have with our city council, our mayors, our city government, um, the backing that we have with our chiefs, our sheriffs, we have some really good relationships with those people. And because of that, it's almost a systematic, you know, line that's that runs parallel with each other. So that way, when we're all on, when we all stand united, then it's easier to enforce a lot of the laws and things like that are going on because the community knows like, hey, look, everybody's on a uniform front. What I've been kind of seeing going on in New York is nobody's on a uniform front out there. Everybody's on their own, own own plan. You got, you know, the mayor saying one thing. Then you got city council saying another thing. Then you got the police chief saying their own thing. And then you got the police union battling the police chiefs because they feel like they're not getting the support that they need. And so, you know, when, again, going back to the Bible, you know, when we talk about the devil and Satan, his plan is to ultimately cause confusion, is to separate, is to cause 
all this, you know, what he do in the in if you go back to the 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 um the the garden, you know, when it all first started, he caused confusion. And when you cause confusion, sin entered into this confusion and it basically caused chaos. That's exactly what's going on right now. Is there's so much you know, diversion or there's so much like uh, chaos because everybody's separated. Nobody's unified. Nobody's unified. And it baffles me. We talk about coronavirus. Like, look at coronavirus right now. You turn on the news, man. Everybody has a different plan. Every city entity, every county entity is on their own program. You got people over here that say, okay, we're going to enforce. Then you got this county over here that says we're going to open everything up. Then we got this county over here that says you just need to wear a mask, but we want y'all, y'all can go out and do whatever you want to do. It's like nobody, nobody's unified right now. Nobody's unified. And because of that, which I believe the United States is the greatest country in this world, you're seeing what the greatest country in this world suffer because of a division because nobody stands unified. We're all against each other. Again, going back to pride. And you, you know what, you know, what's so crazy, Ryan, is you could, you could basically sort of reverse engineer every situation, New York city, the mayor, the city council, the police chief, the PBA, the cops, the community, nobody's on the same page, mass chaos. Look what's happening in our country right now with all these counties, but look what's happening at the very top. The Democrats and the Republicans are completely on the opposite side and it's a trickle down effect. It's all, it's affecting the entire country because we can't get our politicians, you know, to agree on anything. Well, you know, what's funny too is, so think about it. And it goes, it's so, and this is what's so funny to me. It's so simple as this. I remember when I was growing up and being a kid, you know, I would go to my mom and I would want to do something and my mom missed yes. And then I would go to my dad and I would ask him the same thing and he would say no. So then being the little conniving little devil child that I was, I would put my parents against each other because I knew if I put my parents against each other, then the likelihood of me getting my way was a lot higher because they were not on a unified front. But when my parents stood together with whatever their decision was towards me, I didn't have any place that I I didn't have any negotiation. And so when you look at cities like that, when you have the city government, the chiefs, all these people at, at odds against each other, and then you look at the community, the community can come in and cause all this chaos because you have the people at the top that are not on a unified front, and so they pretty much are going to get whatever they want to get as opposed to standing unified and having these arguments behind closed doors. But when you come out to the public saying, okay, we're unified on this, and this is how it's going to be. And until that happens, we're going to continue to see what we see. Yep. No, you're, you're a thousand percent right. Um, listen, the, the country is the country's completely divided right now. There's so many <laughs> crazy things that are going on right now between the virus and law enforcement and politics. And I mean, it, it's just a complete mess. Uh, one of the last things I want to Signs talk about, right? Signs of the time. Signs of the time, bro. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It really is. One of the last things I want to talk about, which is actually a, a complete mess right now, and, and and I'm glad I have you on here and we're talking about it, is I want to just get your perspective on what happened recently in Georgia, uh, because that's a complete disaster. Um, you know, the fact that, A, it happened all the way back in February, right? And I, I'm I just not hearing about it. Yeah, I, we're just kind of sort of hearing about it now. And I believe just the other day after that video went viral, uh, finally an arrest was made. 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll get you probably know more about the story because it's really what you're about in your research. But there was apparently a father and a son. One was uh, ex police officer and uh, you know DA agent or something like that. Um, in the area, they were saying that there were some burglaries that were going on, and uh, they believe they witnessed the, uh, one of the suspects or a suspect coming from a house or something like that. It happened to be a black kid. I think he was like 19 years old, and he was running through the streets. So they thought it would be a great idea to load up their shotgun and 357 uh, Magnum revolver, jump in their pickup truck, uh, and chase this guy down and confront him. Uh, and ultimately, I believe it was the father who shot and killed the kid. Um, and uh, it's turned into a complete and utter disaster uh, down south right now. And then, you know, obviously, when athletes get involved and LeBron James is tweeting about it and all these other people of power, and if you go through, you know, your Twitter fe your feed or your Instagram feed, you'll see all these people talking about it now. Give, us, give me your take on, on that, Ryan, and, and what happened. So, um, <laughs> you know, again, this is something we talked about last time. We, we, we talk about, you know, laws and things like that and lo how laws are written. Um, Georgia law is, is different than most places. Uh, Georgia law, you can affect a citizen's arrest and things like that. And, um, you know, but one of the things that, you know, I've always stood by, no matter what law you talk about, no matter, you know, what I'm trying to enforce is just because I can, should I? And I think this is one of those cases here in Georgia. Um, you have two guys that believe they this was this guy uh, was a suspect of a you know string of burglaries or whatever it was that was going on in the neighborhood. So they decided that they wanted to take the law into their own hands and go try to confront this guy and detain him. And they obviously ultimately took this guy's life. Um, we have something here in California which is called the citizen's arrest. And people can make citizens arrest for misdemeanor crimes um, and we will have them sign, you know, uh, and, and for example, let's say, you know, you and I were to get in a fight, Joe, and it's two misdemeanor, it's a misdemeanor crime, whatever it may be. Cops show up. The cops are going to ask me, hey, do you want Joe arrested? And I'm going to say yes. They're going to tell me, hey, OK, if you want Joe arrested, you got to sign this form uh, that's basically saying you're placing Joe under arrest. And they would ask you the same question. But the fact of the matter is, is that we would wait for the police to show up. I would say, yes, I want to place him under citizen's arrest. I would have to fight, sign a form saying I want to place him under citizen's arrest. And then I would allow the police to effect the arrest. And so what we have here in Georgia is you have two guys that went based on whatever information they had. And they went to effect this arrest. But not only did they effect an arrest, they utilized force during deadly force during effecting this arrest of this gentleman and, you know, took this guy's life. That was not for them to decide. That was not for them to play judge, jury, and executioner out there on the side of the road. And that's the sad thing is that you have people that are taking the law into their own hands and trying to utilize the law and the, law and the way it's written to their own benefit. And so on the flip side of me, and I always have a flip side because, you know me, I'm always trying to play that neutral guy and seeing both sides of it. What we're also seeing is we have people that are, you know, um, you know, making shirts that say, what, what was it, the sudden effect of rent? Yeah, don't shoot, I'm just exercising. We also have to be able to remove blinders and stop living in this world 
where we think that everybody that's out there that gets shot and killed by police or gets abused by police was some perfect angel. We, we have to get out of this mindset of always thinking that. The reason I say that is because there has been other evidence that has come out and shown like he was not just jogging. My man was out there casing homes. He was trespassing on people's properties. He was doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing. Did it mean that he deserved to lose his life that day? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That kid did not deserve to be shot by those guys because they believed he was a suspect in a string of burglary crimes. He did not deserve to die. But at the same time, we also have to say, you know what? He shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. He shouldn't have been out there casing. He shouldn't have been out there on other people's properties. And so that's what's so sad again with our society. And it's, and I find hope in the work that you and I are doing, Joe, and, and E.T. and guys like that, because we're trying to really bridge that gap. But we have to be able to see both sides of the coin here and say, hey, look, like, you know, no, he didn't deserve to die. No, he didn't deserve to go be chased down and be shot. But at the same time, we can't portray him as being an angel either. He was not out here just getting his, you know, getting his jog on like I was. You know what I mean? And so one of the things we fail to realize as citizens sometimes is that we will put ourselves in situations that will cause us to get a result that we did not necessarily want. And so, you know, there it goes back to that same uh, that same phrase that says, you know, you play silly games, you win silly prizes. Well, this was one of those. I hate to say, use that analogy for this situation, but it is one of those things like when you're casing somebody's home, when you're, you know, doing things in a neighborhood, you can't expect a good result for, of that. No matter what, no matter how you no matter how you look at it, there is not going to be a good result from that, whether it's you were shot and killed by some people that shouldn't have shot and killed you, whether it's you're arrested by police, whether it's you had police use some type of force on you. You can't expect a good result from that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, we have to look and go back and say, you know, should we, you know, look at changing some of these laws that have been in place for centuries? You know what I mean? Because we have laws in place that do need updates and do need facelifts. And so the last thing I'll leave is with this is that, you know, a lot of times we want to fight on the streets. A lot of times we want to argue on the streets, but we're nowhere to be found when it comes to voting for a lot of the rights that we have or a lot of the laws that we want to pass. And so we make all this, you know, noise for something that happened, you know, that we have no control over with. But the things that we do have control over with the voting of new legislation and things like that were nowhere to be found. So it's one of those things I personally believe that we just got to have to re reevaluate re our priorities and see where our priorities are at as not only an individual, but as a contributing member to our communities. Yeah. Uh, listen, I had the luxury uh, uh, last year and the year before uh, to get out at uh, Jalen's uh, triple-double camps that he was doing um, with, uh, with teenagers and, and preteens at a basketball leadership camp. And I had the opportunity to speak with some kids down in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I'd say 95% of the room happened to be African-American and then speak to their parents afterwards. And then I had an opportunity to speak to a whole bunch of parents in the south side of Chicago. You know, and, and we spoke about a lot of those same things uh, that you just talked about, Ryan. Like, listen, sometimes on the side of the road or in the street isn't the place to make your argument, right? So, so he said, you know, growing up where, where he grew up and now that where he lives, like he tells, you know, Jalen and his daughter, like, listen, you cop gets pulled over. You think you got pulled over for the wrong reasons. Take the L, take the ticket and come home. 
we'll deal with it after the fact, right? You can't think that arguing in the middle of the street with a police officer is a place to do it. Now, listen, there are some cops out there that have the wrong intentions, going back to what I said earlier. There yep. are some cops out there that are racist, Ryan. That's just a yep. fact. Listen, we're not perfect, right? And they make it harder for guys like myself and you to do our job correctly because we do have the right intentions, you know? Uh, but, but on the side of the road or in the car when you're pulled over at 3 o'clock in the morning or, you know, that's not the place to do it. And, you know, this kid, maybe he was doing things that he wasn't supposed to be doing. But when you, you know, you talk, it depends who you talk to. Like some people say, oh, hey, did you see that kid? He wasn't an angel. Like, like, listen, I get it. Yeah, you're right. But that doesn't give those people the right to get in their car like they're in the Dukes of Hazard with a loaded shotgun and gun and go track this guy down and confront him in the middle of the street. Now, that father apparently was a, was a retired cop. Yeah. What would it have been to say, hey, listen, retired officer so-and-so, I'm in a white pickup truck with my son right now. We are tailing a suspect in a burglary. He's wearing cargo shorts and a white sweatshirt. We're going to stay on him. Send the unit. Yep. You think exactly. the outcome would have been better if they did that yep. or if they, they cut this kid off, jump out of a car with a loaded shotgun? What did yep. they think was going to happen? I know. Yep. It's crazy. I know. The same thing. Did you think that you were going to go into a neighborhood and walk onto people's property and break into people's houses and nothing was going to happen? Like, what, did, what were you thinking? I know. It was terrible. And, and that's the thing is we, we don't always – people don't think. They don't think. And, and that's the sad thing is like – you know, we have to slow down, take a, just think about what we're doing. Think about the situations we're in. But people don't think we're, we're I don't know what it, what it's going to take. You know, I have to, as a police officer, I have to think about every single thing I do. I have to think about, you know, somebody once told me when the Bible study a long time ago, is like, I have to think about what I'm thinking about. And we're not necessarily doing that as people. You know, I have to think about what I'm thinking about because that's the only way to make sure that I could try to keep myself out of some tough situation. Don't get me wrong, because there's always that human nature aspect that's going to come into play, which is going to make me want to cuss somebody out, which is going to make me want to punch somebody in the face, which is going to make me want to do something that's just stupid. But I always have to take captive my thoughts, because if I take captive my thoughts, then it will prevent me from reacting based off of emotions as opposed to fact. So, man, that's all I got on that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this, and then I have one final question for you. Uh, I do um, presentations in health class up at the high school. And part of uh, one of the presentations that I did last year was on social media, just sort of kind of responsibility and awareness. And Ryan, when you and I went into the police academy uh, and we were trained in our firearms, we were taught, and I don't even have to know what your curriculum was out there because I know this, this was fact. We were taught that um, when you pull your gun out of your holster and when you point your firearm at somebody, you better be 1,000% clear uh, on that what you're, what you're about to do is 100% correct. Because once you put your finger on that trigger and you pull the trigger, you can't take that bullet back. There's no backsies. You know, you can't say, oops, I'm sorry, I'll just take that back. Right? And I tell kids at the high school level, you have that phone in your hand 24 hours a day. Your phone is your firearm. Before you push send on that phone, whether it's a photo, a text message, whatever it is, you better think about what you're doing because once you send that into the universe, there's no taking it back.
It's not like, oh, well, he said, no, I didn't. No, you put it on paper or you put it on electronics. It's there forever. Yep. And I, just going, you know, just ending on what you said, people aren't thinking about their actions or their decisions before they do it. They're just, you know, shooting from the hip or spontaneously just doing it. And then when they realize that it's, <laughs> they shouldn't have done it, it's too late at that point. Too late, yep. 100%. Ryan, last question I'll ask you before you leave, and this has been awesome, man, this has been so great, um, is that I ask everybody, last question is, uh, when it comes time for, for Ryan Tillman to, to leave this place, and hopefully for you, you're a young guy, it's in another 60 or 70 years, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? That I change the face of modern day policing, without a doubt. Um, it's easy, and the reason I don't have to think about it is just because that's what... Um, you know, that's what I've always stood by. Uh, I will say that that legacy would be on the foundation that, you know, I was a, a steward and I was a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, that's for me personally where I stand on. And I think Jesus Christ is the one that has put on my heart that to change the face of modern day policing. I think policing needs a facelift. Um, and so when I do leave this earth, I do want to be able to say like, hey, he left it all on the field. You know, that's that, you know, if you're an athlete, and I know Joe, you're an athlete. Um, you know, one of the things we would always say in our, in our sport was, Hey man, leave it all on the field. And so when I leave the earth, I want to be, I want people to be like, man, that dude left it all on the field. Like, you know, not only do we have, and the, the funny thing I was thinking about this the other day, you know, I'm 30, I'll be 33 in a couple weeks. And, um, I was thinking like, man, what, when I'm 63 years old, this content that we put out there will still be out there. Like, it's not like, like you said, there's no take backs. And so it just makes you wonder. I was, when I was golfing, I was golfing yesterday and it just makes, you know, I'm listening to old school music. I love old school music. That's part of my dad. And, um, I was just thinking like, man, like these people that sung these songs are long gone, but yet their music lives on. And so I was like, man, my message even though I may be long gone, my message will move on. And so that's kind of where, you know, I want my legacy to be founded upon is like, man, this dude changed the face of modern day policing. And you'll see footprints and earmarks everywhere you look that will show proof that modern day policing got a facelift because of Ryan Tillman. And it was only through Jesus Christ that he was able to accomplish that. Ryan Tillman was here. Uh, I know you follow him. I don't know if you had a chance to meet Inky Johnson yet, but I heard uh, a, a, a story by Inky Johnson, and I'll leave everybody with this. Um, he's in an airplane, and there's a sign that says, um, it was the first time he, he flew on his recruiting trip, I, I believe, to the University of Tennessee, and it said, as common, as common courtesy to the person behind you, please wipe the sink down and leave it. Yeah, yeah I heard that. Yep. Right. And if we can all do something in this world that leaves the world a little bit better because we had lived, then we're all leaving positive legacies uh, behind us for, for generations to come. A thousand percent agree with that. And I love Ink, man. Ink is a, I love listening to his stuff. Yeah, man. He's amazing. So guys, listen, man, if you got something from this podcast today, and, and I hope you did, I mean, we talked a little bit about a lot of things. Um, I asked that you, you subscribe to the podcast, you share it with somebody. Um, for those of you now who know, Ryan Tillman is doing some amazing things out on the West Coast. And this is something that's going to be not just um, 
a, a regional thing. This is something that's going to be a national thing pretty soon. You, you won't have heard the last of him. Give him a follow. He's at breaking underscore barriers underscore united on Instagram. Um, you can find him on Facebook there as well. Look him up on the internet. Uh, like I said, they're doing amazing things. And he makes me or he inspires me to want to be a better SRO. Man, uh, I appreciate you, uh, Joe, so much, man. Thank you for having me, man. You're again, you're my brother on the other side of the country. Uh, you know, uh, we we need a lot of us here. Uh, we there's a lot of us out there, but we need to be in different places to expand the work. So, I appreciate you, brother. Anything you need, you know, I got you, brother. Yes, sir. And I want to give a special shout out to uh, to Billy behind the camera. We don't want to leave you hanging over there, Billy. Thank you for all that you do. <laughs> Ryan's Ryan's word can't get out there without guys like you. So we appreciate you as well. Um, all, right. all right, guys, listen, um, this has been Living the Nice Life podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, we'll see you next time. Have a nice day, guys. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks again, Joe. Man, thanks again, bro. I appreciate it.